1: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today I'm joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones, and Gav Buckland with a the Tudor fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And as ever, a couple of days on from the Chelsea defeat, plenty to get our teeth stuck into, and mainly... From a very very lively press conference with carlo ancelotti plenty of information plenty of news plenty of opinion of the from the Everton manager who was in the lively form sparkling form some may say and um, just generally you watched you just watch that press, press and recording shortly after it finished um certainly one of the longest i think he's, he's ever done as everton manager but <laughs> just see just seemed to be enjoying himself
0: he did he looked like he was really having fun didn't he um he, he was laughing he was smiling even the, uh, the little, you know, so hand grenades that managers get tossed. You know, so a, a footballer, for argument's sake, posts um, a comment on social media, cryptic comments, talking about Alex Iwobi and uh, you know, wants to play in his preferred position. And we don't know whether that's for Nigeria or for Everton. But given the fact he's played right wing back, left wing back, right wing, left wing for Everton, I think we can safely assume he's got a little bit of uh, frustration at where he's playing. And Carlo's is laughing. He said... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd like him to tell me his preferred position. You know, I want to know. I'm his manager. Let him tell me, please. And then he magnificently threw in the words, Andrea Perlo. <laughs> he says, <laughs> but when I selected Pirlo as a holding midfielder, I asked him if he was happy to play there. And he was, which was you know, quite priceless, I thought, comparing uh, Alex Iroby with Andrea Pirlo. And that's not to be you know, sort of down on Alex Iroby too much. So, yeah, there was that. And there was lots of other you know, Hamish Rodriguez injury questions, the the weekly question about uh, Jean-Philippe Gabamin. And uh, it just looked like he was like sort of knocking them all back, you know, so quite, uh, not contemptuously, just you know, so in, in knockabout about fashion, he was having fun, lots of information contained in the press conference. You know, he, he answered the questions as honestly as he could do normally, but yeah, I enjoyed it myself. I thought it was like a really nice feel to it, it was quite, uh, quite lighthearted. Um, we'll, we'll
1: I mean, we're going to talk about it, will be anyway, but I think we might as well just go, go into it. Um, I'd, you know, we put that post out on Instagram, you know, hopefully he gets played in my preferred position. And I've got a little bit of sympathy for Alex, you know, in terms of having to play a defensive right wing role a type thing against Chelsea. And it clearly doesn't suit him. But, you know, jokes aside, what is his best position? I think that's that for me, for me, almost feels the eternal debate about
2: it will be. What is his best position? I think that's that's the issue that we've got at Everton, isn't it? Is that we probably haven't seen that. You know, he's he's been moved around the side so much. You know, popping up on the on the right wing. You know, most of last season he was probably playing on the left hand side. You know, he's been playing in attacking midfield as well. Of course, uh, uh, under that little spell under Marco Silva. So we've not really at Everton seen him have uh, that sort of you know extended run at just one position in the side. Uh, I think when he was talking about his preferred position, I think he was probably talking about attacking midfield because looking back at some quotes that he's had back when he was at Arsenal, he said he's always uh, considered himself to be like a central sort of midfielder. And over the last, I think, two or three years, looking back at at his Nigeria career, he's been played essentially exclusively at attacking midfield. I think he had maybe one game where he played left wing instead, but other than that, it has exclusively been an attacking midfield. And, you know, for for... For your country, you know, it, that probably will be your preferred position. And you know, if they've got the opportunity to give him that extended run at that role in the sides, then you know that's probably why he enjoys playing there. But you know, <laughs> despite what Carlo Ancelotti said about you know saying, oh, if he wants to play number ten, then I I, I can play him there. Is he gonna? Is he gonna get in? <laughs> you know, but, we've got but... James Rodriguez who's been playing there recently. You know. <laughs> well,
1: Let's let's also bring the listeners up to speed in case they haven't seen seen the stuff. He also said if he wants to play number nine, he can play there. I mean, let's steady on, Carlo. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. you know, we're all full of the joys. He's got that Friday feeling, but I think he went a little bit too far there, didn't he?
2: Yeah, and that but that's what I mean. You know, I, I would argue that probably the best performance still that I've seen a Woking put in, in in at Everton probably was in on midfield when he played against West Ham in that in that home game a couple of years ago. I think, yes. to be honest. The Brighton game when he came off the bench this season and played left wing. That probably comes close. Uh, playing right wing back against uh, Fulham probably comes close as well. But I think that probably sums it up, doesn't it? You know, it's, I've listed probably what I think are his top three uh, Everton performances, and they're all in different positions. So you know, versatility is obviously a quality that Carlo Ancelotti is going to like up to a point. But you know, when you're a you know 24 year old lad like Alex Lewobi is, it does come to the point now where you where you think. You know, for him, he probably will say, "Right, I, I do have a preferred position, and you know, I I want to be played in there more often than more often than not." And I think you know, it's it's something that's similar. I would say with Richarlison. you know, Richarlison's often said, "You know, I want to play central up front. That's my preferred position." You know, he's obviously versatile and can play everywhere, but that's his preferred position. And I think probably a is the same. But as I say, I just don't think he's going to be able to force his way into that area of the pitch for Everton at the minute, especially with the form that. Sigurdsson's in and, you know, the potential for Hamas Rodriguez to play there as well. I just don't see how will gets in there for me. Well, well,
1: Gav, Adam mentioned Richarlison, and I was going to ask you this anyway. Um, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe even last week, Carlo was talking about Richarlison's best position and said clearly, Richarlison, I know he likes to play number nine, but he's never come and asked me to play that. Now, he, now he's saying will be has never come and asked him to play in a certain position. Do you think there's a little bit of a fear factor, or is it just this ultimate respect that they're not actually willing to sort of go up to Carlo, knock on his door, and say, "I'm not happy playing where I'm playing," or is it, a, "I'm just happy to play for Carlo. I'll just play wherever." But you know, I'm, I'm just intrigued by the sort of psychology of yeah.
3: <laughs> the Anthony Gordon approaching me. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, um, yeah exactly, yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know, a bit of a. I, I I didn't see press comments but I've read it, you know. I, I thought Carlo was in, when he seen him writing it may have been completely different in person. But he looked quite bad, to be honest with you, what he what he said. <laughs> um, you know. Um like he, you know, he's 24 of be so he's you know, he's not he's not twenty, is he? He's not an Anthony Gordon at the start of his career. He's been playing for four or five years now, hasn't he? Um so yeah, why don't players do it? Um in Sastamon. one, um, I think maybe there's a little bit of respect there for Carlo. I, I don't know. I, I, if I was a player, I, I, I think that co- Carlo comes across as reasonably approachable, doesn't he? You know, Absolutely. I find it. I find it strange that my player will be uncomfortable on broaching. You know, um, you know where he should be playing with, with Carlo, um, and also. He's not, you know, it's not so Alex Ferguson, I doubt he's going to give you the hair dryer, is he, um, to be fair. And uh, all good managers are welcome feedback, don't they, So I don't know why that is. I mean, I know we're going to talk about uh, David, like, but he's the other option, isn't he? Young member of the coaching staff. Um, so, a bit of a strange one. Um, sometimes you don't know what the conversations are being out there, though, really. Maybe they have. You know, awesome. indirectly or hinted at it. You, you don't know, do you, really? No. Um, I think there's a difference between saying, Carlo, you know, I, I mind, you know, one I, well, I might have to go down the middle, and Carlo, play me down the middle on Saturday. I demand by play there, you know. They're too, yeah. they're too slightly, I think, maybe he was thinking of the, the latter option there, you know. I yeah, find it strange yeah. why a player wouldn't want to talk about that with Carlo, to be fair. I mean he's yeah. made his career on that, hasn't he? Uh, to yeah. be fair, his style of management wins to that. Um, something on nothing, maybe, but it's quite but it was quite interesting comments well, will we? Yeah, well, and, and,
1: and, and maybe because as as, as Gav says, Preno, he has he has made his manage his managerial career based on, on that level of relationship he has with the players. So maybe he feels a little bit not um not perturbed, but can't understand why. Somebody wouldn't come and approach him because he is he is approachable. He is that kind of guy. You know, I, you know, talking about Sir Alex Ferguson hair-dry treatment. In my mind, Carlo invites you
0: into the office for a cappuccino and let's talk, like, talk about <laughs> it. But- Maybe. I mean, I get the impression that there is definitely hidden steel there. There's got to be, you know, so otherwise you can't be a manager as successfully oh, yeah. as, as successful as he is. Clearly, he's a very, you know, sort of uncular, laid back individual. I mean, he was also asked about his relationship with Sean Dyche, because uh, b- uh, based on the fact that Sean Dyche had described him as a class act. And I think all managers feel that way and seem to get on very well with him because of his charm and because of his, his demeanor. But well, just the way you reply to some of those questions, and certainly the Alex Awerby question, you get the impression that there is like a, a harder edge there. As Gav says, you know, whilst the, um, the, the outward exterior was, was smiley and, you know, laughing and joking, the words themselves, uh, I'm going to tell him. I want him to tell me. You tell me where's your preferred position. You know, so I need to know. And your manager, you tell me. And so it's almost like he was a little bit irked, you know, so sort of by reading this. And I get the impression now, I'm com- completely guessing. But you think that Alex Iwobi will just say, "Oh no, 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 gap!" Gotcha. I was talking about Nigeria. But they play me on the, you know, sort of middle <laughs> of the time. I want to play left wing like I do for you? <laughs> so oh, I,
2: I mean,
1: oh, 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 Pren, I mean, we're going far too deep into amateur psychology here. But almost, as he? Is it a thinly veiled challenge? Is Roby too quiet? Is he too timid? Does Carlo want to see more personality? And, and, and does you want? him to be a bit more of him, of him true
0: self. And- that's, that's a good point, yeah, possibly. I mean, you want strong characters in your team, don't you? And how many times have we discussed on this uh, podcast that, you know, we don't think Everton have got enough leaders in the squad. Um, you know, they are not enough vocal characters. Maybe he wants to try and pull that out of him a little bit more. Could be. Uh, it could be quite entertaining. But, yeah, just... Bottom awesome line, if we don't need another number 10. And if, we do need another, <laughs> if we do need another number 10, there you are know, a couple of <laughs> much better candidates than Alex Amorby at the moment.
1: Indeed, the summer of number 10s. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Okay, well, we could talk about the hidden meaning to be behind Carlo's answer to, to one question all day, but there were several answers that need addressing. Um Not good news, Adam, Uh, Abdullah Kore. the rumours were rife across the weekend, Monday evening after the Chelsea game, Carlo simply described it as an important injury and um, they would have to see. He's now given us further clarity, confirmation that it's a small fracture of his foot. Um, Our information as of Monday morning was that the club were looking at six to eight weeks. Carlo actually says it now could be eight to ten.
2: I mean, it's actually got
1: the worst case scenario seems to have got worse.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's, re- it's really disappointing, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> at this rate, he'll be he'll be only coming back for the FA Cup final at the end of the season. <laughs> but, uh,
3: he's
2: he's a big player to miss, isn't he? I think we, we probably noticed that very much against uh, against Chelsea. You know that sort of that sort of dynamism and box to box sort of nature that he can bring was uh, distinctly absent, I would say, against Chelsea, especially just in terms of getting us up the other end of the pitch. You know, after we'd after we'd gone that one goal down, you know, we needed somebody to be able to pick up the ball from deep and be able to run those like 30, 40 yards with it, which Decore has been very good at doing over the past few months. Uh, So I'm hoping that 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 Chelsea game isn't an indication of what we're going to see over the next few weeks. Hopefully we'll be able to come up with some sort of better system. You know, now that Tom Davis is fit, for example, hopefully we'll be able to come up with some sort of better system to deal with his absence. And to be fair, Carlo, did say you know we've dealt with the absence of Alan and we've already dealt with the absence of Luca Dean as well. So we've got previous for dealing with these injury problem, problems this season quite well. So fingers crossed we'll be able to do that again. But yeah, it, it is a big player to be missing. You know for what is the business end of the season as well. Mm. Um, Gav and Gavin, I will
1: ask you to to talk specifically about Decore because we did we did on Monday, but Gav. In terms of finding a solution, and I asked Carlo this question uh, in in a separate section of the press conference. Conference, and you can read his answer tonight or, or or in the morning. I said to him, Carlo, you adapted without Luca Dean with Ben Godfrey playing left back. You adapted without Alan because Tom Davis largely filled the role. Yeah. But is there another is there another player like Decore in the squad to to, to fill the gap? Now I won't give away the answer, but. Do you feel as though this actually might be the biggest test of Carlo's managerial ability this season? Because it feels to me, it feels to me as though there isn't a natural replacement there for Zakori.
3: Yeah, as much as, uh, you know, with my Carlo and stuff, I'm not sure whether we're comparing apples and pears, aren't we, to previous, uh, you know, previous injuries and sort of covering for them uh, in that there's no, there's no light for light replacements out there. Um, we haven't got two Zikores, unfortunately. I, I well, we spoke a little bit about this on Monday, but th- there is one option if he was fully fit, because Alan is not necessary. Alan is not necessarily a holding midfielder, isn't he? He, he is more of a a more mobile midfield, and you would think if he was fit, fully fit and fine on all cylinders, that actually he could do more of a box to box role. Because we've seen him in and around the opposition box and he uses the ball well, doesn't he? You know, in the fi- final third, I mean, he's not going to get into you know, the, he's not going to get on the end of the, the, the six-yard box like the they did at Old Trafford. Um, but he is—he's is not a natural holder midfielder, Alan. Is he? He, he can play a little bit more box to box. But I just don't think his fitness at the moment uh, just, you know, justifies that. Um, which leaves us back to, you know, we have to change the formation and played probably 4-2-3-1 uh, with Alan and Davis holding and um, uh, I have going to say <laughs> number 10 will we'll probably have would we'll be number 10 probably, uh, <laughs> you know, 4-2-3-1 with, um, with Richarlison, Sigurdsson you know, did, did I say he's not uh, upset Carlo too much woby or, or Hammers praise the God he's fifth Um you know, uh, so of uh, something like that with obviously DCL up front. We, we I don't you know, four three three, not sure. Um to be honest with you. Because um, we, we saw that last week did saw that classic in last week in the uh the first half, didn't we at West Brom where we played a sort of flashes flashes midfield and I know they played, but it was just a bit flat wasn't. It? Uh I just think, just think, we uh, probably need to play four two three one. Would be my guess. Which I stand corrected. I don't recall Carlo. How many times has Carlo played that in his eighteen months? Not here? too many. Fifteen months here, not too many. Yeah. Um, so I think that's probably at the top of your head. That would be the, the solution I'd, I'd put in. Um, but then, but you see, what happens there then, fellas? You just solve one problem. Case and all of that, that. Going back to the Richarlison thing, he's obviously not playing enough funds is he in the four four two or something like that. He's out wide left, which is not necessarily somewhere where he wants to play at the moment. So it, it's 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 a difficult one, as you say. It's 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 probably Carlo's biggest biggest test, I suppose, tactically for this season for him. Because the core is just gives us something that nobody else does, and then. Um, He'd be he sad loss, and as Adam said quite rightly, it'd be good to see him in the cup final. But it's effectively it's it's effectively a season over, isn't it? Really, it
1: does uh, it does appear like that, Gav. Yeah. Um. Prenner, moving on to more sort of difficult injury news. Uh, we spoke about him on on Tuesday. James um, Carlo basically saying that he doesn't expect to see him back until the after the international break, uh, and that he was quite keen to dispel some rumours doing the rounds about his fitness saying that he's he's not really for a while been 100% and the decision was made um, by all parties to wait until he was back 100% uh, to avoid risk of of, of greater injury um, I, I you know I, I guess you'll support the decision but it's, it still doesn't sort of negate the fact that we what we were talking about on tuesday and that he's you know it's, it's frustrating that he has missed, missed games
0: it was an interesting decision because he actually conceded in the press comments that he had played against Liverpool at seventy percent fitness. He had played at Manchester United at um, a similar level of fitness. And if you bear in mind at Anfield, you know he changed the game by creating the opening goal, and at Old Trafford he scored a goal. You know, so he was he was heavily involved. Um, so I think they've obviously decided that by getting him hundred percent fit. They can obviously avoid, you know, the, the potential for further injuries between now and the end of the season, and hopefully see an even, you know, so more effective. hammer Rodriguez, you know, if he's available for the last, you know, half a dozen games, say at absolutely peak fitness, great. I mean, I know it's a gap, but you can never actually say, you know, that with any certainty. But it, it was quite surprising because, you know, just given the influence he's had on games, uh, some managers might have chosen to play him for an hour uh, over the next few games. Certainly on Saturday against Burnley, who we know are going to. You know, defender the flat back four and a you know, very deep line you know, sort of midfield four and we'll need to try and break them down um, and you know, players like James are the best players we've got at doing that so it, it was interesting but they're doing it clearly because of the other players' own best interests maybe that is why James Rodriguez wants to play for Carlo Ancelotti everywhere he goes because he knows that that is you know, a, a manager who will look after him, who will, who will care for him if you like so you know, maybe part of that comes into it as well um, so yeah, it's it's disappointing because we love seeing him in action, but you know we're going to have to accept it and wait. That when we do see him, hopefully he is you know absolutely all guns blazing and flying, and we see the very best from him.
1: And I think I think he used the phrase in the press conference that when he is fully fit and, and looking ahead to next season, I think Carlo describes him as being the difference. Um, and I suppose that the policy that Carlo is, is adopting now with 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 James in 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 a taking care, uh, you know. It says that he's not going to panic about where we finish necessarily, and it's not a, a case of top four at all costs. It's, this season will play out as it plays out, and next season we will, you know, we're doing everything to, to make sure we're as fit and ready f- for next season. Um, but I just wonder, Adam, you know, James, you know, he's had the injury issues and missed some games, and you know, look, he, he'd be thirty, I think, in the summer, you know, and, and, and naturally, players of that age, unfortunately, do start to pick up more injuries. Carlos has spoken about two to three signings in the summer. That's all we'll need. Is somebody on the right hand side a right winger? Is, is, is you know somebody to offer that support, that backup, that, that
2: alternative to James, Is that something that we need? I would say so because I would still prefer to see James Rodriguez as much as Alex. Iwobi won't want to hear this. I'd rather see Hammers Rodriguez <laughs> used in the uh, used in the number ten role. To be honest, you know, you know when he played uh, in that in that sort of, not exactly in that role, but, you know, in a central sort of role against Liverpool. Obviously, he proved himself to be uh, very effective in setting up with Charleston for Charleston for that opening goal. Uh, his goal against Manchester United as well seems to come from, you know, hanging around that central area as well. So I just think he does he does most of his best things for Everton when he's, you know, in the middle of the pitch. You know, we, we can still have him on the pitch for, you know, like wide set pieces and stuff like that, which is, which is good, but I think just giving him that central role just allows him that little bit more freedom to just go up, you know, kind of playing that sort of sort of mold to go and do what he wants. So in in that sense, yeah, I would say that having having somebody there who can be, you know, a consistent sort of performer on the right wing, uh, is is something that Everton do need. You know, we've tried Alex Iwobi there and you know, unfortunately it's just it's just not been consistent enough, in my opinion. So I would I would say especially, you know you're coming into the summer uh, and you know you're losing another winger in bernard let's say uh you nearly left in january you know his question his future still massively under question so you'd you'd probably expect him to leave in the summer everton you will know, we'll have anthony gordon coming back of course but i'd, I'd say there was probably a little bit of a, a little bit of a shortage of wingers from everton and it's you know some of these you know come in from that right flank maybe with their left foot you know that's something that we've been it seem seemingly been after for a good what two two or three years, something like that. So, yeah, I still think that's that is something that Everton need. Just because I feel, I, I wouldn't really consider hamish Rodriguez as a long term option on that right hand side. I would say that was probably a good way to get him into the team when he first joined. But I think he's he's definitely more suited to being in that number ten role. So somebody to somebody to fill that gap inside side, I would say, definitely should be a priority.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gavin, any, any thoughts on, on look? I don't know we, we, you know we're away off the summer window in many respects, but you know Carlo mentioned it last week. Two to three signings is all we need. You know, is, is a right winger one of the, One of the three that you would you would be keen for us to go after? Or
3: yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, I think We said that on uh, when we pod of Tuesday, was it? Yeah, right back, right winger, uh, definitely. Um, third one you could, you could pick several positions couldn't you but the, the, the entire right hand side needs a restriction doesn't it for, for various reasons but definitely I get the Rodriguez thing by the way I know I'm sorry about it on Tuesday I think when we come back we don't have two games in a week do we for ages to the middle of night something like so we're only playing one game a week so what, what they're obviously saying would imagine is get, get yourself really fit and then there's only one game a week then
1: Unless, like unless
3: seven weeks.
1: unless we progress
3: in the FA Cup and there's a Villa yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's that, that's good news, isn't it? You know. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I'd probably, I probably, I can see why we're doing that with the families. To be honest. Yeah, it's eight or nine league games left in, in over over the reasonable space of time. We've got loads of time for recovery, so they're probably saying, "Well, we'll get you through that period." Yeah. But yeah. the right hand side definitely felt. Yeah.
1: Preno, any thoughts on, on on that before we we move on on on? God, you know, it feels like we've only just come out of one transfer window, but it's always on people's minds, isn't it? You know, and you know, two two to three signings, um, Carlo says is,
0: is what we'll need. Yeah, I mean, it's about his greater judgment. I mean, his transfer window is been well, his transfer window singular has been uh, you know sort of excellent so far. Um, it's about quality, really, isn't it? You know, we've made the mistake in the past of uh, bringing in lots of players and it just doesn't work. Uh, You need to identify areas of the team where you can improve with significant quality. And, uh, you know, so nostalgia alert. uh, Go back to the Gavin will tell us here. It was Harry (laughs) Catterman. who had had his list of 11 players, you know, so his his own 11 players and the 11 best players in the country, you know, so that, you know, could play in that position. And, you know, if any of those players ever became available, you know, so you would seek to try and, you know, sort of introduce them to try and improve the squad. Um, you know, so Carlo will have ideas on which part of his squad he wants to improve significantly. And he'll wait for you know particular quality uh, to come out there. I was quite impressed, you know, so during that press conference earlier about uh, the, the fact that he even knew all about John philippe Gabamin. I mean, you know, we've seen, as you mentioned, Phil, 135 minutes worth of football of him and that's it. Uh, yeah, he was aware of him, obviously from his time in Germany. He knew about his qualities. You know, he does obviously, you know, his, uh, his research and his, his groundwork. So he knows the kind of players that we need. Two or three sounds a little bit conservative, you know. So to me, I'd maybe like to see, you know, so a little bit more than that. But if that means, you know, we get greater quality in those two or three areas, fine, I'll accept that all day long.
1: And of course, it's, it's, it's whether it, Carlo has been literal in terms of it's two to three on what we've currently got, which of course yeah, yeah. our goalkeeper's on loan, isn't he, to, from Roma? Yeah. Josh King's out of contract in the summer. So perhaps perhaps two or three may turn, turn into. Four or five uh, before we know it. Um, let's move on then to the game Saturday night. Goodison. We're back at Goodison, five thirty. Ad Burnley. Um, the the game that kicked off the Ancelotti era. Um, we wrote about it again this morning. You know, a game with Sadiq at right wing. It was a different time, wasn't it? Um, how do you think? How do you see this one going, Carlo? Very complimentary about Deich and Burnley. I like their style. I think it's probably the only person that's ever said that. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
3: I mean, how yeah, do I mean, you see it
1: panning out especially with no hammers especially with no hammers
2: yeah i think it was, it was really interesting they didn't Ancelotti talk about Burnley, wasn't it you know talking about them you know not trying to invent football with their with their sort of 4-4-2 you know it's it's you know in a in a way it's what it's what carlo's been trying to introduce the Everton over the last you know, year and a bit or so you know especially in defense Uh he, he thinks the 4-4-2 is the best way to uh to set up it as a defensive unit and that's yeah, that it. That is how he set up against Burnley in his debut game. Four four two in defence, but I think it was more like a three three four one two or something like that in in attack. I seem to remember it was a very it was a very fluid sort of system. And obviously he's introduced that over the over the coming uh, months and years as well. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how that develops in terms of this game in in general. Yeah, the, the missing James is going to be a big one, I think, because. I don't think it's going to be any surprise in the way Burnley are going to set up, is it? It's going to be very much a, as as Carlo said, sort of a four-four-two, two banks of four. You know, try and try and break us down. If you want to win this game, you've got to earn it. And uh, traditionally, over the past couple of years, I'd say Everton have uh, struggled against sides to just come to Goodison and sit back. To be honest, so you know, having a player like Hammers would have been fantastic to be able to unlock the, that defence. Uh, and you know it's something that's gone under the under the radar. I think in uh, Carlo's press conference, he said Gilfie Sigurdsson is going to be facing a late test as well. So if we're without hammers and Gilfie Sigurdsson, you know Sigurdsson, you know for for all the people think about him over the last few weeks and months, I think he's been fantastic in terms of his goal contributions. I think he's got fifteen goal contributions, six goals and nine assists so far this season. So to be missing to be missing that uh, this weekend will be would be another massive loss. So you know, that would be two of Everton's most creative players taking off the team in a, in a game where, you know, chance creation is going to be absolutely crucial. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Carlos tries to combat that. He said he wants his team to be pressing a little bit higher and, you know, playing a bit more forwards. So perhaps we'll see a bit of a change in formation, maybe towards, as Gav said, maybe towards sort of a more 4-2-3-1 sort of, sort of formation to just get a, a few more players further up the pitch. Uh, but I, I, I can't, I can't see this being anything other than a different, I don't think this is going to be an exciting game of footy at all, to be <laughs> honest. I really think this is going to be a difficult sort of <laughs> attritional sort of game. Uh, you know, not too dissimilar to the, to the one nil that we had over Southampton, uh, a couple of weeks ago. So let's, or West Brom, yeah, uh, or West Brom, of course. So let's just hope we get the same results <laughs> out of this one as we did in those two. Gav, I, I know previously in, a, in, a, in a,
1: almost what feels like a different era. Now we would talk about these games and go: the start's important, set the tempo, create an atmosphere. Obviously, there's no atmosphere on Saturday, but for me, yeah. and I don't know if you agree, the start still is vitally important because in those games where we've struggled against sides that we should not have struggled against—Newcastle, Fulham, etc.—it's been slow starts, and it's just, it's just sort of spread throughout the team and the, and, yeah. the, and the performance has never recovered
3: absolutely felt lethargic isn't it i mean see that compared to say the derby at Anfield, where we, we started on the front foot from the kickoff didn't we uh one of probably the earliest corner kick in derby history i would imagine yeah actually i, I was interested in kind mean, i said i didn't I, i've read his uh, comments at the press conference he said about pushing up more in reference to carver lewin didn't he? I think he was saying um getting further up the pitch. I'm just wondering at that's also about to counter Baney. I don't think against Burnley won our centre half packed in the middle of the penalty area, really. Mm. I don't think he will want them to give an opportunity to bomb us tomorrow. because uh, we know what Burnley's stands are with all due respect and the big players that they've got. Uh, so I suspect they want us to play up the further up the pitch, A to press down and B to stop them sort of getting getting in our area, you know, with long balls and, and taking it from there. So, and, and Calvert-Lewin is struggling, isn't he, a little bit um, with service. And I think some of that, as, as I think he was saying, is is to do with that as well, is to get, get in around Calvert-Lewin a little bit more. So I'm just wondering whether that maybe points to a little bit more of a change in formation where we've, we don't have a flat four in midfield. We've like three three strikers, three players in and around Calvert-Lewin in the box.
1: Mm, Interesting. Uh, Preno. what are your thoughts on how this has got to go and how do you think it will go?
0: I'd like to disagree with Adam and say it's going to be a a lively, wide-open game, but I can't. um, (laughs) You know know, know what Burnley are going to do. I mean, the only thing that gives me a little ray of uh, hope is that Burnley at Turf Moor are a very different team to Burnley away from home. I think their last five Premier League games they've drawn at home, all very, very tight, 0-0 and 1-1. Away from home, they got battered at Tottenham 4 0 and then went to Crystal Palace and won 3 0. So, does that suggest a slightly different approach away from home? I say I'm grasping at straws, probably not. Um, I think they are going to come and just like try and sit as deep as they can. And with, as you mentioned, that creativity of James and of Gilfie Sigurdsson, you know, possibly uh, taken out of the equation, it's going to be tough to try and break that down. We may be relying on set pieces again, and we know how good, you know, so Burnley can be at defending and attacking set pieces. I worry a little bit that it's got like that Leeds Newcastle uh you know West Ham vibe to it uh, where we could get caught you know if we don't concentrate as you know strictly as we should do defensively I mean, Carlo says we seem to defend or concentrate more away from home than at Goodison or equally you know maybe we can do another Southampton you know so one of those kind of games where it is going to be tight uh, and you know we can just you know so sort of nick the goal or the second goal you know when it matters as ever the start is crucially important and if we can score early, that changes the game. You know, the game is a completely different match then. And can, you know we could have a, a 4-0 tight Tottenham game, you know, so if, if we can somehow, you know, sort of persuade them to come out of their defensive shell, but we've got to do that first. So the start is all, it's got to be intense, it's got to be, you know, so absolutely focused. We've had a bit of time to recover uh, from Monday, you know, so there's been like a, a decent period uh, to focus and go again. But it's a very important game. I mean, in light of what happened on Monday night, you need to win this, really. Uh, otherwise, people start dismissing us then as, you know, sort certainly top four candidates and maybe even European candidates. If we win the game, it's definitely alive again then. People are just thinking in the back of their heads, ooh, Everton, what could they do next? So it's a very, very important game. And uh, it, it'll be tight, certainly. But, you know, so I'd like to think we'll have just enough to see it through.
1: Yeah, I agree. I feel, it does feel like a response is is, is significant, doesn't it? It just, just lets people know that this won't be uh, given up without a fight. But, uh, Adam, um, we, we said we'd talk about it briefly before the end of the pod and, and Preno mentioned the Southampton game there. Obviously, we, we did a piece with uh, Davide Ancelotti this week where he, he admitted that uh, uh, he was talking about challenging the manager's ideas and, and said he disagreed with the tactics for the Southampton game but had to admit defeat and that his dad had got it right. <laughs>
2: Funny, it's funny that isn't it to, to be like the internal conflicts that must uh, that must happen with with things like this but i think it's i think it's quite good to see isn't it you know you, you you don't want you don't want david ancelotti to just be a yes man in the background and just going oh yeah oh yeah dad you you go and do whatever you want you know he's he's there he's there for a reason he's assistant manager for a reason and you know I'll, i do want him to be uh putting across his uh his his tactical mindset and i hope he does Hope he does for the for this game as well, because I think, you know, while the while the tactics did did you know, work against Southampton, we did get a we did get a win. Uh, it wasn't exactly the most convincing of victories, was it? So, you know, I, I think there probably is cause for a little bit of a tweak here or there to try and get Everton to be you know a bit more a bit more attacking in the especially these home games, as Preno says, you know, we've we've let we've let things slip against the likes of Fulham, Newcastle and West Ham in the past. Uh, in matches that we really shouldn't have been beaten at Goodison Park, so you know, the, the, it does feel like there needs to be some sort of change in tactics. With without fans there, there is there is some sort of the only thing that we can change is you know our our tactics. So we've got to we've got to try and find some sort of way that we can break break these sorts of teams down. So you know, a, a home game against Burnley is probably a is probably a good way to try and do that.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gav, it's almost like we, we'd planned for the pod co- to come full circle and, and neatly join at the end, but it, we didn't. Um, we, we we talked about, you know, why, why is Iwobi not uh, not broaching Carlo? Yeah. Is he too scared of him? Well, I don't know if you had a chance to read the Davide piece, but um, he oh. said, he said you know, as as you've read then, you know, open discussion before every game and, and davide saying it's important to challenge my father to keep him young up here
3: uh-huh. yeah yeah you started off by quoting the famous brian Clough piece didn't you phil i think yeah you we know, talked about it for 20 minutes and decided i was right yeah. uh all good managers in any trade these days it, 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 it's it's uh, it's not just football you you invite you invite feedback don't you, you invite ideas you know, ultimately you're in poor position to reject or accept them. So I think any, any good manager does that. I mean, good managers in the past did that, didn't he? I'm gonna go all Ken out here and stuff. So about Colin Harvey and Howard Kendall when Howard Kendall was there, you know, we we spoke about that last summer, didn't we? I mean, we were doing the pods about the the, the early eighties, you know. Um you you, you, you also it's up to you to make the final decision, but all all good managers invite Invite comments and criticism. Not criticism, but you know, um, things that maybe think that, that should be done better as a way it's just way of improving standards, isn't it? Ultimately, and that's what everybody wants. So I, I think that's good and that's what you would expect from Carlo. Um and there's one bit that I thought that was interesting. did did he say Carlo likes to play games every three games, three days that- still?
1: Uh, that was that was the line that I fed in. Carlos said that before. Yeah,
3: he yeah, said,
1: yeah. You know, He, he yeah, said oh, I, "I like
3: games every three days." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I thought that was quite interesting, wasn't it? Really? Um, yeah. But going back to your original point, yeah, that's what you would expect a, a top manager to do, and, and and all all good managers now have have people who who, who will feed stuff into so not just on the training ground. But you have all like stats guys and all that behind the scenes, don't you? And you know, uh, and so it's 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 very much an information-driven uh, role now, isn't it? Really, those days of standing on the scene, and pitch on your own, dictating everything to everybody is uh, is long gone. And managers employed that I think don't don't survive anymore, do they? In, in football, mm,
1: and Preno Davide, as as Gab was alluding to, there saying that you know,
3: uh, uh,
1: almost until maybe the final session before a game, maybe this afternoon, Friday afternoon, the players are due to train, weren't they, mate? Maybe up until that last point, Carlo tends to take a, a backward step and observe, and he lets Duncan and Davide take the sessions. And um, I, I don't know. Do you, what's your perception of Davide? And you know, I think obviously he would be aware of this. You know, people raising eyebrows, pardon the pun, when he's <laughs> yeah. when, he comes, when, he, when he comes with his, with his dad. But he seems to, you know, I, I spent a little bit of time in his company, but he seems to have made a very good impression.
0: You see yourself. By all accounts, I've never met him, but I, I'm, I'm told he's a, a lovely, lovely person. He always stops to chat to my daughter when she works in her retros on her shift. He's aware that she's a big Evertonian, and they always have a conversation. Um, and on the training pitch, when he comes across, it's uh, like, because Carlo's got such a you know, sort of big personality and a big reputation, It's almost like, you know, so he's always in the background and you always imagine, you know, he's there because of his dad. When clearly, you know, he isn't, he's clearly a very, very impressive and talented coach in his own right. Um, It's always been the case that, you know, so most football managers, you know, sort of canvas opinions and listen to other people's opinions. When you were talking before about, uh, you know, so managers bouncing things off each other. I was smiling to myself just remembering when uh, Walter Smith once said to me about, um, we played Michael Branch up front in one game. I forget what it was. And um, he you know, talked to me afterwards, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Some idiot listened to his assistant manager, Archie Knox, and that one and decided to play Michael Branch up front on his own. That was a mistake, wasn't it? So, you know, <laughs> but managers do listen to their assistants and do sometimes put their uh, ideas in, into action. That's the reason he ended up with Dava Junela, uh, because Archie Knox saw him absolutely tear it up for Aston Villa Reserves uh, right at the end of his career and thought he could still do a job for us. Clearly, clearly he couldn't um so yeah you know so david is clearly you know so gonna have probably more influence on, on his dad than some other coaches will be because of who he is you know so you might listen to him a little bit more but you get the impression that you know so Carlo will always decide as you you know made the brian clough illusion you know so he is the man whose decision goes but i'm pleased that you know so there is you know a brain's trust if you like and they're all listening to you know so different points of view drunken so ferguson's part of that now as well in the past he wasn't you know uh, certainly under the marco silver era it was suggested he was um you know sort of sidelined to a certain degree and uh you know his, his views maybe weren't listened to as much as he would have liked uh that's not the case anymore you know so they put things out amongst themselves and discuss things which is a very healthy way to run a football club bottom line there is, is one man who makes the decisions and once he's canvassed all those opinions he decides what's right because the book stops with him you know so he loses his job if things don't go well uh so it's 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 reassuring, though, to see that we've got, you know, sort of people in place that, you know, are impressive and that seem to be, you know, uh, doing the job particularly well. And also pleased as well that, you know, that you got that interview for a start and that we actually see a little bit of insight into the machinations on the training ground. Because football clubs too often are closed shops and, you know, sort of pop barriers up. I mean, I think the fans, you know, as our numbers show, you know, appreciated that story and actually enjoyed it. I mean, it's sad now, modern journalism, but, you know, we actually can monitor things by engagement time, how long people spend on stories and the numbers of people actually reading them. And so we know people that really relish that story and enjoy the level of insight that was in it and spent time on it. People want to know what's going on in their football clubs. And if it's a positive story, as it is, for the fellow that's impressive as David Ancelotti, why not get it out there and let the fans read about it? So, yeah, a good news story, That.
3: And can I just... Robbie, so, go on, go? so I was just going to ask her has he got aspirations to be a manager himself do you think um, I I I assume he does um yeah. but
1: you know it's, it's not uh, it's not something I I have asked him about directly but I, I assume he no does no it.
3: sometimes yeah sometimes people volunteer that like, you know what I mean just uh, yeah be interesting to see what happens there won't it yeah. that, for, he's for, obviously a very you know, gifted guy Yes, absolutely. Um,
1: not not just to, not to label the point, but Prennan, when you're talking about managers' um, canvassing opinion, you'll know this better than anybody. Why can't I imagine Mike Walker asking for anybody else's opinion?
0: Because uh, <laughs> Mike knew it all. Mike was a football genius. Of <laughs> no, he, he did have his, uh, his, his assistant there, Dave Williams, who, uh, who came with him uh, from Norwich. But, yeah, Dave was very much a number two. He would always be in the background. And uh, now Mike Walker, he knew the loss, you know, so he, he decided what was gonna go. and uh, that's rest- we've wasted enough time on him already.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, before we wrap up predictions time. Adam, uh, Everton versus Burnley
2: at Goodison Park at five thirty tomorrow. What's it gonna be? <sighs> I really wanna try and avoid the obvious, but I'm gonna to have to I'm gonna to have to go one nil. Uh, I, re- I really just can't see this being an exciting game of footy at all, and I just think that one goal is going to be able to swing it. And I think, you know, uh, as we were talking about before, I think it's really important that Everton do try and bounce back from that, uh, from that Chelsea game. I still think, you know, Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison up front have got a, a, a bags of quality, so I think that quality will eventually show through, and hopefully, hopefully get Everton a one-nil win,
1: one-nil to the boring, boring Blues, um, Gav.
3: <laughs> Well, there hasn't been a uh, you've got to hate me for these two two oh. stats oh, there yeah. hasn't been a, a goal there hasn't been a goal this saw between the clubs and the league for a hundred years oh so, yeah
1: <laughs> I, just, I just sorry i just like to i just like to apologise to all listeners
3: and all <laughs> yeah, of Tony yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
0: hundred one shot hundred to one shot, guard, to one shot guard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah yeah exactly uh, and also Burnley have never won at Anfield and Goodison in the same season before, oh, so yeah, uh, you know. So they, but have having said that, Burnley have only scored eight goals in 13 and fourteen Premier League away matches. i they only scored three Crystal Palace. They don't score eight from Bull. So for all that bluster, uh, I'm, 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 can I copy that? But I tell you what, I'm not go tune enough for the mighty Blues because I think. I think for all this talk i think uh, about penalties and stuff i think fancy us for a penalty tomorrow because as we all know the great penalty revolution in football has largely bypassed us this season hasn't it really <laughs> um as per usual so two nil and with a penalty
1: well if it's with a pen prano and given that uh, given that there's no like well p- possibly no sigurdsson um does that mean mr richarlison steps up as he is at selhurst park to take them or
0: I hope not. I hope it's uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin uh, who steps up to take them uh, as he did for England that time and like pinged one in the top corner. Richarlison at the moment is like such a a tag of a player. He looked brilliant and then he looks like you know sloppy in the, in the same moment. Uh, for me, the turning point on Monday, you know, apart from the, the goal we conceded early doors, which was unfortunate, was his miss. And uh, miss is being a bit harsh, maybe, uh, but you know it was. Lesser than a half chance, you know, so that he managed to like slice and, and he put it wide. And you know, that could have made it one all and who knows. And yet he scored four games in succession prior to that. So you just don't know what you're going to get from him at the moment. I think we're going to get a decent uh, performance from him uh, on Saturday night. Uh, if we do get a penalty, I think Calvert-Lewin will be the guy that will try and grab it away from him pop it away. And we got sold off on our social media last week about these podcasts by a fan saying, oh, why aren't you realistic in your predictions? Uh, I mean, our predictions are hopeless. We know that. Apart from Adams, who were spectacular at spectacular
2: start of the season, um, I'll, I'll ride. I'll ride the coattails of this all season. I don't think we've had one since something you know, like the third game. We're, getting,
0: we're getting told off because we're all of us. You know, either predicted draws or I predicted a victory at Stamford Bridge, and yeah, you know, basically laughing, saying, "Where's your realism, fellas? No one. You know, we all thought we were going to get beat at Chelsea. Why don't you just say that?" Apart from the fact that it's an Everson podcast, and we don't want to be, un, you know, negative if we have to be, I think we are, you know, so sort of relatively realistic and, you know, so sort of relatively upbeat in terms of our predictions. Um, so I'm going to say seven nil. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm going to say stick with Gavin. I think. I mean, yeah, you've got me one nil all the long with a set piece, but I'm going to go with Gav, and you know, so I hope we can score that early goal that we crave and then build on it. And yeah. Another one in the second half. Two nil for me.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it could be a bit of a repeat of uh, Boxing Day 2019, Carlos' first game. I think it could be a bit of a grind and then we'll we'll find a breakthrough. But how we do it, I don't know. Maybe a set piece even against a team as well organised as Burnley. But we shall see. Hopefully it is a victory as we've all predicted and hopefully it's three points in the response after Monday night at Stamford Bridge. Chaps, thank you very much for listening. Great pod. Uh, thanks for your insight, terrific as always. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, stay with us across the weekend. Uh, some interesting stuff from Carlo that will be uh, on the website uh, this evening and in tomorrow and in, into the build up towards the game. And Adam and I at Goodison covering the match. Uh, so follow us Saturday night into Sunday, all the fallout opinion and reaction from hopefully a victory for Everton. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast.
0: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.